Hello, I'm Joe uh, Biden, and uh, I, I think this is a Glenn Beck podcast where they talk about me. And, 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 have you seen my shoe? Today's podcast begins now. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. something so delicious. I cannot wait, but I'm going to, I'm going to, because Stu begs me every day. We're going to talk about Cuomo, aren't we? We're going to talk (laughs) about Cuomo because he's the worst, you know? Yeah. And I I say Hitler was pretty bad, Stu. And you keep telling me not to talk about Hitler. Uh, No, you could could talk about Hitler. Uh, (laughs) I mean, Hitler, not not uh, not alive. So he's not as much of a current threat, despite what the media tells you that he's around every corner. Uh, Hitler killed old people. Cuomo killed old people. True. Some comparisons. Could it be? You know, the Hitler family moved to Long Island after (laughs) World War II. Scott Hitler, (laughs) Debbie, Andrew. Hitler. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. You did expose the the other people in the in the Hitler family <laughs> the, the Hitler other day, family. which was fascinating exactly to hear. Exactly right. Uh, All right. So, what are you whining about with uh, Cuomo? So, a lot of people have been talking about the sexual harassment part of the Cuomo saga, which yeah. is you know, legitimate. Uh, there's still a report coming from the Attorney General of the state. We don't know what, what's in there yet. Here's one thing <laughs> right, we do right. know, however, 100. Okay. Other than just Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. We know that, but we also know that Andrew Cuomo doesn't care what you think about him and his sexual harassment allegations. So listen to this clip right. from yesterday. There is a legal definition of harassment that is very clear. All I was saying is just uncomfortable does not uh, uh-huh. mean sexual harassment. Mm. You make me uncomfortable by some of the questions you ask me. That is not sexual harassment. There are other elements that also have to be added. Intimate has a number of uh, manifestations. Mm. I think we have an intimate relationship. Don't you think that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Not a sexual relationship. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> oh. Oh, that, you know why that's so funny? That is so funny because he's making light of the women he's been groping, you know, by saying that. Oh. It is so funny. Oh. It's hilarious. Once you know the context yeah. that he's been accused, uh, you know, of intimate relationship, it's hysterical. Mm, no, he is just, he's a ham. He's a ham, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. Uh, he now, is. despite all of his handsy escapades uh, that he's been participating in, oh. I happen to be one of the people who think the larger issue is the thousands of old people he murdered. It's oh just, maybe gosh, it's just, just me. Go on. I yeah, be- you go on and on. We got it. He killed old people. Hmm. Move on. Now, for months, as you know, Glenn, uh, uh-huh. the numbers of victims of Cuomo's policies were both known to him and mm-hmm. hidden by him by him mm-hmm. by him yes now the same could be said about his compensation for his viscerally repulsive book which i love the working title was how to enrich yourself by murdering grandparents <laughs> i hate to 
uh, was one of yes, no, uh, that was the it was one time. of the times right, exactly. it could have been kicked around. Uh, yeah. It was actually called American Crisis, which describe is the title of the book, and also what he unleashed on America over the past year. <laughs> uh, so before we got the truth about what his compensation was, he decided um, to, of course, make a few little announcements. Glenn, he used oh. a bit of distraction. Let me quote. Hours before the release of the figures, Mr. Cuomo made a series of major pandemic-related announcements, including the end of most mask mandates in the state for vaccinated New Yorkers, Hmm. the loosening of capacity restrictions on businesses, and the return of the New York City Marathon, (laughs) and the Tribeca Film Festival. (laughs) Is that it? That's all? Wow. Wow. What an amazing timing. I get the science just supported that change in policy a few hours before his announcement. (laughs) That's what happened. You know, it's a coincidence. Things like that happen. Yeah. He was just following the science and the science said that this science should be announced as a distraction before an embarrassing admission. (laughs) That's what the science said. What was the announcement that was so embarrassing that Stu is trying to say he was hiding that he, for his horrible scam of, uh, of a book, he just, uh, you know, uh, received $5.12 million Unreal. in advance of $5.12 million. And, you know, I mean, he got that for what? Nothing? Doing nothing? I don't think that's fair. His book was much worse than nothing. Uh, look, if he, <laughs> if he had only done than nothing, nothing, that what right. an amazing thing that would be for the state of New York. If he had done nothing, nursing homes would have just said, well, of course, we're not going to take COVID positive patients <laughs> into our nursing homes. Um, right. With the most vulnerable so all around. <laughs> so him nothing, doing nothing would have saved lives yes, is what you're saying. Nothing would have been <laughs> right, much okay. better than Cuomo. Literally having no governor <laughs> at all <laughs> would have been right. far superior from someone who seemed intent of wiping everyone over 65 years old off the planet (laughs) but 5.12 million dollars now you may not be in the business of ending lives of innocent people for profit so (laughs) you may you may not realize how much money this is for a book deal yeah i mean a lot we know a lot about the book uh, industry almost Mm -hmm. no one no one makes the kind of cash we're talking about, you know, now in 2021. This, this is from the New York Times. According to the publishing world, the revelation of Mr. Cuomo's pay- payment elicited shock. The amount <laughs> appeared to be a staggering sum to pay to a politician who already had a meager sales record for his previous book, a memoir that just sold a few thousand print copies. Remember, we're talking about $5.12 million dollars. And I will say this, even if you take away $1.12 million from the total, it's still completely insane. And we know that for sure (laughs) because it was initially reported that Cuomo earned $4 million for the book. Right. In fact, let me let me quote here how the left wing magazine, The New Republic, covered it. Why would anyone pay Andrew Cuomo $4 million for a book? The good news is they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. And remember, that's an incredible amount for any author. But Cuomo is quite possibly the worst single author in the history of words. That quote. That is Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) Quoting. 
seven years ago on the eve of being elected to a second term as governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo completed a rite of passage familiar to all presidential aspirants. He published a memoir. Hmm. All things are possible. Uh. It's overlong at more than 550 pages, <laughs> cliche ridden and hopelessly dull, which is to say a standard issue political tome. Cuomo was paid more than $700,000 in advance by Harper Collins. The book had an announced initial run of 200,000, but 5 months after it was published, it had sold just 3,000 copies in hardcover <laughs> and 13 audiobooks. Oh, I love it. Even even by the dismal uh, standards of the subgenre of books by politicians, this was a flop. Based on a conservative estimate of the governor's advance, Cuomo earned about $200 for every hardcover sold. <laughs> $200 a book? That was, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and 13 audiobooks. Yeah. Don't that, that, forget wait, wait. those 13 audiobooks. That's total. Not 13,000 audiobooks. I'm legitimately telling you it was like... One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. That's how many times people clicked buy. I just gave you the entire history of the book. <laughs> <laughs> they had to pay Cuomo two hundred dollars per book. I mean, it's hard to overstate how much of a catastrophe that is in it's every a single way. catastrophe. Yeah. Yes, yes. So. When that happens to you, <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. you wouldn't ever write another book ever again. Mm. Sheer, just out of <laughs> oh, shame, right? Uh, uh, really uh, guilty feelings on, gee, I just took $700,000 from these people and 13 audiobooks were downloaded. <laughs> I feel kind of bad. Yeah. And so how did this new book work out for the company? Hmm. I may wonder. I, may I quote again? Ah. There's no question that they lost their shirts <laughs> and that Cuomo was the beneficiary of what only can be characterized as a bad commercial decision. Ah. You think? <laughs> this is the founder and chief executive of Ideological a publishing consultancy. Mm. I bad commercial decision is quite a way to put it. Uh, I, it's a little bit of an understatement. It's basically like calling the importation of I don't know COVID positive patients into nursing homes a bad management decision. <laughs> uh, yes, it's true. It is true, but a little bit of an understatement. Quote: uh, Though more successful than its predecessor, you know the one that sold thirteen <laughs> copies in audiobook. <laughs> It is sold 45,000 copies. It, too, is a disaster from a sales standpoint. And that was before Cuomo was hit with a cascade of scandals. Its publisher, Crown, stopped promoting it earlier this year. <laughs> American Crisis even plays a supporting role in one of those scandals. While Cuomo and his aides were working or were at, at work on the book, they were simultaneously working to undercount nursing home deaths early in the pandemic, according to the New York Times. And that's an important point. It's not just wow. that the book was a catastrophe sales wise, which it was. Uh, and it's not just that it was a failure, which it certainly was. It's that the book itself was a big part of the problem. Quote, last summer, top aides to Mr. Cuomo gathered at the governor's mansion with editors to read from the manuscript. 
a memoir of the pandemic's first months. The aides who had been directly involved in the pandemic response took turns reading passages and commenting on facts Uh. in the work like that didn't happen. (laughs) According to two people with knowledge of the gathering, which began on a Friday and stretched into the weekend, the governor also read aloud from the work. So in the same place, the same location, he was allegedly groping women. He was also Mm. forcing them to read his book. I... (laughs) Don't know which is worse. I can't compute. Ooh. All right. Oh, my gosh. The craziest part about all of this is not that he may have forced his staffers to help write the book, which is against the law, or that he completely failed. I mean, you know, he's Andrew Cuomo. His life is filled with gigantic hey. failures. One hey, I'm after not another. a failure. Have you seen my nipple rings? Huh? Hey. But there's no way, there is no way this could have succeeded. There was no path to success by giving him this much money. Industry figures have estimated that the the, uh, the figure of assumed sales to justify this uh, contract would be in the very high six figures and possibly over a million. An astonishing number, particularly given the disruptions caused by COVID-19. It points to the kind of mania that grips some publishing houses and the bubbles that many executives live in. Cuomo's popularity among a certain set was so profound that the idea that American Crisis could be the kind of book that makes a publishing house's year took hold. So you can sit here and we can mock him for saying he only sold 5% of expectations, which is what he did. But 50,000 books for Andrew Cuomo is like a literal miracle. That is incredible. It's incredible. I mean, he outperformed all expectations by like 10 times and still was only at 120th of breaking even. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. If you're a small business owner, let me ask you something. How badly is HR killing you right now? The average salary for an HR manager alone is around 70 grand a year. Seems a little steep, but God have mercy on you if all of a sudden you need an HR manager and you don't have one. From minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and the ugly specter of things like wrongful termination suits, it is necessary to have HR for your business. So let me tell you about a service called Bambi. With Bambi, you can get a dedicated HR manager, put together your HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just, wait for it, $99 a month. Now, I'm not a math genius, but I think it's a little less than 70 grand a year. From bringing on new employees to terminations, Bambi will customize your policies to fit your business, and then they'll help manage your employees day to day. So let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Right now, go to Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Glenn. Oh, I have some, I have such good news. Such good news. You're going to love this. You really are going to love this. I've never heard of this group before. Apparently, they've been around since 1929. Uh, It's called the Consumers Research. Uh, And again, I know nothing about this company or this 501c3. I don't even know. But I will soon. I'd like to have them on the air. They have decided to go after the woke companies. All of these companies, uh, from Coca-Cola to Nike to American Airlines, 
and I want to play three ads that they've just released that they need to go everywhere. I'll tweet them out. They've got to go everywhere. Listen to this. American Airlines rated the worst, losing the most bags, shrinking legroom during COVID. American requires passengers to show ID to fly, but attacks Texas's popular voter ID law. Why is CEO Doug Parker trying to appease the radical left to distract from billions in taxpayer bailouts, from his $10 million payday, from Americans' record layoffs? Doug Parker, American Airlines, serve your customers, not woke politicians. It's like a, it's interesting, it's like a political attack ad, but just, just aimed at a company. <laughs> so something I learned from, something I learned from Bill O'Reilly. Bill said to me at one point, um, he said, look, you're going to get a lot of heat. He said, so when you have a fight that you don't think you can win, let me in. I'll, uh, I'll do something. And I said, well, what would you do? And he said, oh, I'll talk d- directly to the CEO on TV. And I said, and that helps. <laughs> and he said, CEOs do not like their name in the press. They don't like it uh, applied to controversy or anything about them. They like it when their name is mentioned, you know, uh, in newspaper articles about how great they are, Mm -hmm. but not tied to any kind of scandal. He said they hate it, (laughs) hate it. This company is going and, and saying, gee, is it because they lost all this money and had to have a big bailout from the government? Or is it because, what was his name? Uh, the CEO just got a $9 million salary. Mm, they're not going to like that. Let me play uh, Busted number two. Listen. Nike is constantly political. Why? Cover. Congressional reports suspect Nike used forced labor in China. Religious minorities were ripped from their families, sterilized, sold to factories. Nike made shoes in those same areas. Congress tried to ban Nike's labor practices. Nike fought back with highly paid lobbyists. Rather than hiring Americans, Nike chose China. John Donahoe, Nike. Stop exploiting foreign labor. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. John Donahoe. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And the last one on Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is getting political, attacking Georgia's popular voting law. Why? To distract from years of dismal sales, terrible 2020 results, reports suspecting they benefited from forced labor in China. Coca-Cola products are poisoning America's youth and worsening the (laughs) obesity epidemic. So the company tried funding phony science to minimize the harms, but they got busted. James Quincy, Coca-Cola, stop poisoning our children. Serve your customers, (laughs) not woke politicians. Is that fantastic? James Quincy. James Quincy poisoning America's youth with the footnotes underneath it. You have to watch these as TV commercials with the footnotes underneath it on why that's a true statement. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Now, our job is you go to consumers, uh, consumersresearch.org. Consumersresearch.org. Go there now. And uh, click on the Say No to Woke Companies. 
and you'll find those three ads. More are coming. I'm, I can't wait to hear the one about baseball, Major League, Major League Baseball, and Babe Ruth. Why are you, why are you fondling little children? Um, the, uh, the woke companies campaign, say no to woke companies, is at consumersresearch.org. Get them and tweet them out one at a time. Put them on your Facebook. Put them everywhere. America, you finally have somebody in your corner that is actually fighting for you. I love this approach. It's a really interesting approach. I, I can't remember ever seeing anything like it. We, you know, usually you don't hear attack ads against products and companies, right? Big, like big that, tobacco. Were you old enough to remember the fight against big tobacco? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So this is what they did to big tobacco. Yeah. You know? I guess. I guess. Yeah. That's, that's Marlboro, a good... man. <laughs> Why are you killing people? Yeah, you I know, guess they were just. Yeah, I don't know why I'm separating that, but like I think like in a way they it's almost like a, a like Pepsi would run an art should run our uh, you know commercials against Coke like this like a competitor right that is trying to say like look at all the bad things that are happening with this particular company because while its its motivation seems to be stop getting involved in woke politics it, it's it's not necessarily about that. Right. Like it's just profiling really bad things that have happened with the company well, that the company wants you to forget. So the, the, the problem is, is that they know um, Pepsi's never going to do that because no. Pepsi doesn't want to get on the other side <laughs> right. of the woke culture. You know, they're mm-hmm. probably most likely part of it. Oh, sure. Um, but but also uh, yesterday. So New York, they pulled the mask band. And so you don't you don't have to wear the masks uh, anymore. Let me see if I can find this. Here it is. New York City supermarket. It's called Morton Williams Supermarkets, uh, and it's caught up in the conflicts on the masks. Morton Williams customers are sharply divided over the grocery chain's decision. Controversy kicked off Monday when the popular supermarket emailed customers about its decision to comply to comply with the new CDC coronavirus guidelines starting Wednesday, when New York State will drop the mask mandate. The short email just explained the new policy, and the Big Apple grocer said, we will not ask for proof of vaccination. Well, that was stomping on a hornet's nest. Um, and the, the chain uh, put out another email just a few hours later. We recently sent you an email explaining our policy regarding masks. In doing so, we knew that we were stepping into a hornet's nest and that many would feel that this is a premature decision better suited for a later day. But we didn't know that we would be held hostage. So help me. I am now in front of this flag of the woke culture, and I'm reading this statement. Um, We will put up signs encouraging customers and employees to continue wearing masks regardless of their vaccination status. And, and, And please be respectful to those who do not feel comfortable. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're now telling the mask the non-mask wearing population of New York that they have to be kind to the mask wearing people of New York who are not following the science. Mm. Now, I have no problem. You want to wear a mask for the rest of your life? That's your choice. I think you're missing out. 
I think it's ridiculous. But well, if you, especially if you're it's ugly, your it's okay. Go ahead. Continue to do yeah, it. Yeah, like I wish there was a mask for my entire body, <laughs> but there's not yet. That's clothing. Um, That's what clothing is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, you're right on that. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't do enough for me anymore. I need a moo-moo. Anyway, um, anyway the, uh, you know, if you don't want to wear a mask, fine. If you do want to wear a mask, fine. If you want to get the vaccine, fine. You don't want to get the vaccine, fine. I don't really care. We are on the mend. The CDC, if you want to follow the science... Then why aren't you following the science when the CDC scientists reluctantly finally come to the conclusion that you don't need to wear a mask? You're, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. You it, well, I, and I think you hit on the most frustrating part about this because, yes, it's really frustrating when they don't follow the science and all of that. Uh, the excruciating part of this is, is being berated for a year for not wearing a mask outside by the left killers and now the killers the second the cdc admits what we've all known the entire time that there's no outdoor transmission largely of this virus there have been zero documented cases outside of close conversation outdoors in the entire world since yeah, the beginning that, of the pandemic according to the that new york number, times not me. let me just say you that that number is zero Zero. So I want you to consider that. Yeah. It is zero. Right. So zero is the number. For an entire mm. year, we've taken people screaming at us for following the science. And now, day one, after the CDC decides to admit what has been known uh, about vaccinations for a very long time, that this is not something you need to worry about, then we're like, they're like, oh, gosh, please don't criticize. You guys aren't going to get upset about this, are you? You guys aren't going to start criticizing people who make different choices than you. Everyone has a right for their own decision making and risk assessment. And you need to make sure you don't be mean to others. You're telling us that after this year, you're coming after, to us with that nonsense after, after all of this? Ra after Rachel Maddow actually had... The set. She did, too. She uh, she had the set to be able to go on television and say, you know, I'm going to have to rewire my whole thinking because I have to stop seeing people not wearing a mask and think you're a danger. You're mm -hmm. going to kill somebody. Yeah. You're selfish. Uh, you're a Republican. A denier. What? Mm -hmm. and I mean, the problem is, the problem is they have viewed America through this lens. Their little mask is like a little armband saying what party they belong to, say a little uh, little red armband. Uh, and anybody who didn't wear a mask, that was like a Jewish star. They could see who the enemy was and they liked those categories. It's us versus them. I don't like that. I don't like that. I never have liked that. I wouldn't like it if it was reversed. Um, and, you know, they've been pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And now that the science agrees with those who didn't wear a mask or don't want to wear a mask anymore. Now the science says, yep, you don't have to wear a mask. They're going crazy and asking for mercy. And yet they bashed this supermarket so badly 
for just complying with the law and science that they humbly withdrew and said, wait, well, wait, 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 we'll ask everybody. We'll, we'll ask everybody if they'll still wear a mask. That's insanity. That is mob rule. That's not America. That's not science. That's mob rule. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. All right. So I want to bring in David Harsani, uh, who is, I think, a brilliant, brilliant man. I rue the day that we let him escape from our clutches. Uh, David Harsani is now the senior writer at National Review and uh, wrote a couple of articles that I want to talk to him about. One is, let's start here with the uh, uh, abortion and the abortion bill that uh, the Supreme Court just took up. Hi, David. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Um, I want to run this theory by you on why the Supreme Court took this particular case. Uh, because they have they've passed a lot of cases up and uh, but they took this one up. And, and the the logic from my friends who watch the Supreme Court and know kind of these things said that they've been looking for the right case. And they only took on one aspect of this. And that is the 15 months, uh, you know, uh, viability law. And weeks, 15 weeks, of course. Yeah, I'm sorry, 15 weeks viability uh, clause. And the reason why my friend tells me that this is happening is because this is the way to eventually dismantle all of it. But you have to come in at something reasonable people can agree with. Roe versus Wade is is all about viability. Well, Babies are more viable, you know, that was 20 or 21 weeks. Now they're viable at 15 weeks. And so they're moving that to slowly make this their first pitch in with something scientific and not something that is religious or uh, based on morals, per se. Do you buy into that, David? Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I kind of do. I mean, I don't know if, uh, you know, the, the idea that they have some kind of political angle that they're looking at is something I wish that they wouldn't do, but maybe it's just the reality of the world, right? So right, um, if right, that's the right. case, the viability aspect is a good one because as, as a political matter, most Americans are um, not, if not totally against abortion, want the restrictions after the first trimester. So viability, which is always changing, which actually proves that the whole idea of viability is, is nonsense, right. actually, right. Um, is, is, is a good issue to, to, hand, you know, to, to tether to as you move forward. Yeah. And even if you don't change anything else, eventually we get down to the baby is viable at any time, uh, you know, just because of science and the way it is, um, it's moving forward. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, unless you want, you have something else you want to go into your, your article on abortion was great, by the way, you want to touch on that? Well, I appreciate that. I, I just wanted to make the quick point that, that the idea that, you know, you don't have technology to save someone doesn't mean that they're not alive in the 1700s. We couldn't save people from infection. It didn't mean they weren't alive. And I think that that's the mm-hmm. argument. That's a rational, non-religious argument to make to people. It's a moral argument, but I think it's a, it's a strong one. Um, David, I miss your clear thinking. Um, you are one of my favorite people, and, and uh, you are just a, uh, 
a passionate person without basing your arguments in in passion. Um, let's talk a little bit about the squad. You just wrote an article for the National Review. The squad is rooting for Hamas. David, I don't I don't think even even under Obama, I don't think it was this bad. I, I don't think I have ever seen such clear cut good versus evil. And we seem to always be picking the side of evil in the last few months. Talk to me about Israel and Hamas. Yeah, I mean, listen, Israel is an imperfect plate democracy or, you know, a democratic nation like many others, a liberal nation where there are courts of law and, and uh, people are allowed to defend themselves and the nation is allowed to defend themselves. So, you know, I have no problem with people who are critical of Israel. But when you take the side of Hamas, which is just a, it's a death cult, essentially, that wants not only to kill Israeli civilians, they want their own civilians martyred in this cause. I just, it escapes me how anyone, anyone with uh, any kind of moral understanding of the world can, can make an equivalency between the two. Israel is clearly defending itself. Uh, now, whether you believe Palestinians should have a state or not, this is not about that. Hamas doesn't accept an, a two-state solution. It wants a one-state solution. And, uh, you know, every country, any country, our country, we would r- respond probably in, in a more more aggressive way than, than even the Israelis are doing. Now, people talk about civil, civilian casualties. If you think about what Hamas is doing, they're embedded within civilian populations. Then you do you realize that the amount of civilians who are unfortunately dying in this conflict is actually rather small compared to other ones. So I just it's hard for me to even understand this one. Many, you know, most things on the left, I try to understand their point of view. But this Hamas boosterism within the con- you know, I don't understand it, but I do think a lot of it has to do that we're talk- with the fact that we're talking about Jews here. And I can't be dissuaded of that by anyone. So um, that's how I see it. Well, that was um, I had uh, Dershowitz on yesterday uh, talking about this, and he said pretty much the same thing. He said, look, you don't see the squad or anybody outraged by Tibet and what's happening in Tibet mm-hmm. or, you know, what's happening with the Uyghurs. They're just not there. And he said the reason is the only logical conclusion he can come to is because their enemy isn't Jews. He said if they were Jews, they'd probably care all of a sudden. Right. And not just that they're Jews, maybe that they're Westerners, you know, in the sense of colonizing this area. And and people have a bad grasp of the history of this situation. They always want to go back in time and restart history in 1948 or 1967 or even before. And it's simply not how it works. But, um, yeah, I agree with him. I think this does have to do with Jews. So when you see Rashida Tlaib, uh, Nakba never ended. Give the audience a definition of what Nakba is. Well, you know, they were constantly talking about occupied territory. But when you say Nakba, which means that I think it's translated as the catastrophe, you're talking right. about 1948. You're talking about the very existence of, of the Jewish state. For her, um, occupied territory is all territory, even towns right. that have Jewish names dating back to, you know, before Christ. And that she believes that that all should belong to a new Palestinian state, which has, of course, never existed as an Arab country ever. Um so that's what she's talking about. We're not actually talking about, you know, 1967 armistice lines. We're talking about all of Israel. Why are people, I mean, David, it seems so clear to me, um, you know, who the Nazis are. 
especially in this. I mean, they, they keep saying that the, the right is, uh, is all about white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not about white supremacy. You're not about white supremacy. I honestly don't know anybody who is. I know they exist, but that is a very, very small number. And they keep calling us Nazis because we believe in the Constitution, which is not part of the Nazi philosophy. However, these, uh, you know, the squad is saying things that the Nazis would agree with. And many people uh, on Twitter, you can still find their their statements glorifying the killings of of Jews. Is America are we that detached from reality? Does, does this continue down this road or do we wake up or not? I'm asking, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've seen there are people who compare how progressives speak and how white supremacists speak. And it's often quite similar in their outlook on the world. It's identitarian. It's about color. It's, it it, it, it uh, takes away agency from people and just makes it all about the way they're born, which is the exact opposite of what Leon Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about, etc. Um, so I think that that in many ways, they transpose that kind of thinking onto every situation. So like Israel, it's about white people and, and brown people, when in fact, hundreds of thousands of Israelis are refugees from Arab nations who never lived in the West, who look just like Arab people do. And, uh, you know, but they can't understand that, that not everything is about race. I don't know if we're ever going to wake up. I am actually I've always sort of thought that, you know, rhetoric about the end of the country, about the end of the Constitution was overdone. But now I don't think that anymore. I think it's in real trouble mm. because I don't think that the left progressive left at least believes in neutral principles that are in the Constitution, free speech you know, right. individual rights of any kind. So that's a huge right. problem. And the younger you are, the less you believe in it. And now that they run the schools and the colleges and the, you know, and the and big business, I don't know how you, you turn it around anymore. Well, that's, uh, that's more depressing than I used to make you uh, <laughs> when we would talk. Uh, <laughs> I remember times when I would tell you stuff and you'd be like, okay, I don't believe any of that. And I don't want to believe any of that. I'm there now, David, with you. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, how much of the responsibility of this, and this is one hope that I have, that Americans will wake up because they saw low gas prices, jobs being created, not phantom jobs, but jobs, prices kept low, uh, and peace in the Middle East, and the right track with China and Russia. And now all of it is coming undone all at once. And my hope is that people will actually see, wait a minute, yeah, I didn't like the way he tweeted, and I didn't like some of the things he did, but compared to this... I want more of that and not this. And I, I think there's there's the possibility that they're exposing themselves because correct me if I'm wrong. Biden's policy, the reversal of the the foreign policy that Trump had is the reason we have this happening uh, over in Israel now. Agree or disagree? I think part of it is, is definitely the reversal 
having to do with Iran, having to do with releasing funds to the Palestinian Authority, having to do with the Palestinian Authority trying to create a problem to push the Biden administration to push Israel into some sort of Correct. deal, things like that. Um, and I think there will be blowback in the larger sense to what's going on, because if things turn poorly in the economy, people react that way. And they have for a long time. Yeah. And in, in fact, even though Donald Trump lost, the Republicans actually did relatively well in that election as far as the House goes and things like that. So, yeah, I think there'd be some reaction. My problem with that is that that's, you know, economic and 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 something I agree with. I'm for capitalism and, and all of that. However, there are underlying issues having to do with the yeah. Constitution that I'm not sure people are really uh, you know, grasping or, you know, my own kids go to school and the things they learn are, are really off putting to me to say the Just, least. So I worry about that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, all right, David, we'll talk again. Thank you so much for being on the program. David Harsani, he is a senior writer, national review and author of Euro trash, which is coming out, I think in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Isn't it David? Uh, in the fall. No, in it's coming fall. out in the fall. Uh, we I'd love to have you back. Make sure you come back uh, for that at least, but we'll have you back before then, I hope. Um, David Harsani, thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn. Na, 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 na.